Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. I hope things are going all right in your world. Generally, I love the holiday season. I was born on December 27th, so I'm a Capricorn. My mom, who has passed, but I still work with in spirit, was born on Christmas. So December is kind of my jam energetically. As most of you know, I'm not a religious person. So it's not really the religious element, but it's the spirit of love, generosity, family, and warmth that makes December feel so special to me. But this year has been a tough year for me, and I'm finding it harder to remember the beauty and love in the world lately. And I've been telling you about this sort of periodically over the past few months, but I've been really struggling with being able to tune into like the spirit of joy and love and celebration. It just has seemed so far away to me. So this morning, I guess I got especially fed up with myself, which happens sometimes where I'm just like, I can't feel this way anymore. I'm tired of it. I decided I'm going back to one of the most basic, most powerful exercises to get me slowly back into a higher vibration. I am starting a gratitude journal. And I know, I know some of you may be thinking like, come on, that shit is corny or stupid or it doesn't work. But let me tell you this. I just learned this. Oprah had a gratitude journal that she never skipped writing in morning and night for over a decade. And they say the more you vibrate in a state of gratitude, the more abundance of every kind comes into your life. And I can't think of many people who are as abundantly wealthy in nearly every area as Oprah is. So if it's good enough for Oprah, it's good enough for me. I thought I'd share this with you in case you're also searching for a little something to get you, I don't know, smiling more and bitching less. That's how I, I've been feeling lately is that I'm just bitching a lot. So if you start one, tell me about it. I want to know. I have heard from loads of people that it can change your vibration really quickly. Five things in the morning that you're grateful for, five things in the evening before you go to bed. And you just kind of get in that space of this is what I'm appreciative of in my life before you start the day, before you end the day. That's my jam at this moment right now for the holiday season. Anyway, my guest this week, Lauren Ivy, is a major seeker like myself and owner of Open to Alchemy, which is her spiritual development space and practice. She has bopped around from one healing modality to the next for decades, always thinking in the back of her mind that there was something intrinsically wrong with trying out so many different paths which is something I can relate to and we talk about in this conversation. Eventually, she stumbled upon human design, 
which allowed her to more fully understand and accept her hummingbird-like approach to life. Human design is a spiritual technique or self-discovery tool that helps you understand how you exert energy and make decisions. Much like astrological birth charts, human design is a system based on your exact time, date, and place of birth. So basically, by combining astrology and other ancient systems, human design identifies your dominant energy centers to create your personal body graph, which is kind of like an energetic blueprint. So human design is like a mix of Kabbalah, I Ching, astrology, Myers-Briggs, genetics, the chakras. It's all smushed into one cool body graph design, I guess. Lauren went down the deep rabbit hole of human design, and I'll let her explain more about it and where it started. And she now offers human design sessions where she reviews your chart and goes deep within all of the pieces to help you understand how you work in the world. She offers other sessions as well, including energy alignment and timeline shifting. But in this conversation, we focus mostly on human design. Lauren gives me a glimpse into my design by doing a baby reading for me, which has made me absolutely want to book a full session with her. We don't just talk about human design, though. We also talk about the art of manifestation and how meditation and law of attraction go hand in hand, the balance we need between the woo and the work, as Lauren puts it, and the importance of radical honesty. And you know, it wouldn't be follow the woo if we didn't also briefly talk about ghosts and blue orbs. So that is how we end the episode. I can't think of any other way I'd like to end an episode. As always, if you love Follow the Woo and you want to help support this podcast and get more content, the best way is to become a patron. You go to patreon.com slash follow the woo. When you first sign up, you'll get an official order of woo invitation sent to your home and access to a bunch of other witchy goodies, including some great bonus episodes. Thank you very much to the patrons that I have already. Y'all are amazing. You make this podcast happen. All right. Let's dive into the woo of human design. You got involved in human design and then also your work open to alchemy. How did you get into the woo? How'd you get to do what you're doing? So, and it does tie with human design, which is very funny. So... I first heard about human design a few years ago. I was listening to a podcast, as one is apt to do, and I heard this gal talking about the different human design types. I had never heard about it before, didn't know what it meant, but had been a lifelong seeker. I loved self-help from an early age, like high school. And so I knew a little bit about astrology and a little bit about, you know, when, when I was working in like a corporate world, it was like the ENFJ or the Myers-Briggs, whatever. Uh And so she was talking about the different human design types and there's five different types. And she started describing which, what was my energy type, which is the manifesting generator. And she was saying, you don't take a linear path. 
you're multi-passionate, there's lots of different things that you're going to do in your life. And it's really key for you to just sort of flow with that energy, allow yourself to pivot, allow yourself to change. And, you know, every bell and whistle in my body was going off because up until that point, I really had been doing that. I had been saying yes. I had done advertising and then that turned into marketing. And then I had built a home. And so I was doing project management and home design. And then I had a food business. And I had said yes and had this very nonlinear path. But inside, I felt shame about it, to be honest. I felt like everybody's able to find the one thing that they're good at. Why can't I find my quote unquote one thing that I'm supposed to you know, stick with and love? And why do I feel this fluctuating energy? And why am I so passionate about something? And I go all in. And then two days later, I could care less about it. I felt like I was broken. And so hearing about it, of course, I did a complete deep dive. I read everything I could. I bought the books. I listened to more podcasts and then did a training on it because it was so interesting to me. And then I started practicing and then I started doing readings for people. And now here we are a few years later, and it's just an incredible modality for people don't, who don't know human design is called the science of differentiation. And it really is this idea that we are all these unique you know, different individual beings. And yes, there are certain archetypes and similarities, and there's things that you can look to that have, you know, that are common across these different types and strategies and authorities. There's a lot of different types of language in human design, but we are so unique in so many ways. And so it's not about finding this one right way to do something. It's about finding what's right for you. It's about finding what's easy, what's authentic, what feels good to you in so many ways. And that was just incredibly freeing to me to learn more about myself, to accept myself, to see myself in a different way. And then to be able to help other people see that and step into that is just incredibly rewarding. I have felt similarly, you know, with that, like bopping around from thing to thing. And actually, when I was in India studying with some gurus, I had, it was, it wasn't even the guru. It was just sort of some, he seemed wise to me, some wise man who was (laughs) on the bus. And he was just like, I remember I had said something like, I wish that I could just focus on one thing. I compared myself to an Olympian, which is ridiculous, but I was Mm -hmm. like, how great that would be to just know that you're supposed to ski for your life. And then that's it. You don't have to focus on anything else. And then that becomes your very clear linear path. And he said something like, not everybody's supposed to do that. You're one that's supposed to bop around. And I never, I kind of just kept it in the back of my mind. And I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. At that time, I was like, is that real? And even until recently, I thought that the best path was not bopping around. Right. Right. So I had to kind of meet other people who are like, no, this is my way of life and this is how I manage it. And it's totally a style of managing your business or your hobbies, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. We each have our own journey and our own path to that self-discovery, that self-awareness and acceptance. But I think that so many of us suffer from this conditioning of there is one right way to be, or there's one best way to find success or eat or exercise. And, you know, that's 
that's what we've been sold, right? It's like we, yeah. we, somebody is successful at something, they figure out a way to sell it and package it and market it to everybody else. And we all want the answers. Just tell me what to do. I will follow it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, and so this does take a leap of faith and it does take a very different perspective in there's places in your design and your chart where you are very defined, where it is the core of who you are. It is consistent. You can depend on it and rely on it. There's other places in your chart, which are open, where you are here to experience other people, to take it in, to sample. That also means that you're more subject to conditioning in those areas because we have that inconsistent way of seeing things or experiencing things. And so understanding that balance of where you're open and where you are, you know, undefined versus defined is also a really just helpful way of knowing, you know, looking at your chart. So your top three centers are open and particularly the top two is your head and your Ajna. So what that means is you are going to take in a lot of energy in the head, in the mind and feeling potentially like, you're trying to find the answer. You're trying to solve somebody else's problems. You're trying to make somebody else feel like you're certain, convince other people that you're certain because there's an inconsistency there, because there's an openness there. But once you understand that and you're able to really step into your beautiful wisdom is being able to see things from all different perspectives. You don't have to have a right or wrong way of doing something. You can try it this way. You can see it from that side. There's a great empathy and wisdom and really this innovation that can come when you have these open centers. So just even understanding that dynamic is really mm -hmm. just helpful in being in the world. And then when you feel yourself being like, oh my gosh, why am I trying to convince other people that I know it? Like, I don't have to do that. I can feel good about what I know. And tomorrow I might change my mind and that's okay. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of pressure that we put on yeah. ourselves. It's curious that you mentioned that there's just all of this input in that, that top. So how do those three, what did you mention? It's your head. Yeah. So th there's, there's nine centers in human design as compared to the seven centers of the traditional chakra system. So the top one is the head and the ajna, which is sort of like the head and the mind. And that really rules the way that you think about things, the way that you mentally process things. It's your inspiration center. And then below that is your throat center, which is also open, which I think is amazing that you have a podcast platform <laughs> because oftentimes people with an open throat feel, again, it's so much about conditioning. So what I'm saying now might completely resonate and it also might be something that you have known and worked through your entire life. So you're able to view it from a different perspective. But having an open throat, oftentimes people don't trust what it is that they have to say. Sometimes people feel pressure in a situation where they're with people and everybody's being so vocal and they're sharing all this stuff. People can sometimes feel like, well, I'm supposed to say something too and I have to contribute. And maybe you're saying something and you're speaking something that isn't really in alignment, but you're just sensing and, and really picking up on everybody else who has a defined throat because they have a different consistency or confidence in the way that they use their throat chakra. For that area to be open, that mm -hmm. means that that's just sort of, you have the potentiality to go either way is what you're saying. 
Yeah. And everything is really, there's, there's sort of like this highest vibrational expression and there's, you know, the shadow side and that's with everything, whether you're defined in an area or undefined in an area. Mm -hmm. So having the open centers, you know, the first thing I always tell any client is the white, which, you know, is the open centers. It doesn't mean that you're missing anything. It doesn't mean that it's broken. It doesn't mean that, you know, something is wrong. That is your place of growth. That is your place of wisdom. Those are the places where you're highly intuitive and empathic. And that is, again, just how you're designed to sort of take things in and learn over time to be able to trust that whatever you have to say is so incredibly valuable. And in fact, when you have an open throat, people are often attracted to you because they really want to hear what you have to say, because mm-hmm. you're not somebody that always is like feeling like they have to say all the things all the time. Mm-hmm. I have noticed, and I have been told by shamans and gurus and, and, and over the years, cause I'm also a seeker like you, I have heard that my throat is where my central energy is. That's where my mm. power is. And I hear you with the like ne- the shadow side and the positive side, because when I'm not centered, I can be biting or I could be, you know, I can get stuck in like negative talk, shit talking, basically, you know, right. if you're not careful or gossiping. But if I'm in a good space, it's like, you know, <laughs> I feel like I'm tapped into the, my gift, but I don't always know exactly what I'm supposed to do with it, you know? And so there's that thing you were saying, like, is it a supposed to do with it or is it just feel it and use it where, wherever works that day kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things I love about it is that it's so, it's so personal and it's such an, you know, they call it experimenting, you know, you're supposed to play, you're supposed to try And it's not so much of a right or wrong, but just what feels good to you and what feels aligned, what feels easy versus what feels like the shoulds, what feels like the obligation, what feels like the pressure and learning to differentiate and discern what's your own, you know, individual energy and what you are picking up and taking on from others. And that's why I am such a huge proponent and believer in quiet time, time alone, because when we are constantly, you know, immersed in media or engaging with other people, it just becomes so jumbled, you know, speaking for myself to really be able to say, I don't feel good in this space. Or when I'm with this person, I notice this thing about myself or, okay, when I'm on my own, I know that I am not emotionally charged. I know that I am more centered. I am more grounded. I am more calm because I am not emotionally defined And the same with you. But when we're in community with other people, whether that be on a call or whether that be, you know, sharing space in person, we both very much pick up on other people's emotional energy. And so then you end up riding that emotional roller coaster with them because part of that could be people pleasing part of that could be not being able to discern what's mine what's theirs part of it's just like well they're on a ride i'm going to go along with them exactly <laughs> oh and this so, is good oh good <laughs> yeah it my editor of the podcast she is so funny we've been working together for a while now and she says when you have someone on who says like a lot you say like a lot when you have somebody on and she's like, you are such a mimicker, 
I, I always identified as an empath just because that was the term I got earliest on that not being able to differentiate between what's mine and what's theirs. And also just like going on the ride with them, I sort of get stuck in those speech patterns. But I thought that was so cool that she gave me that feedback. It was really polite. She was like, it's so interesting that you said like just the same way this person said like. Is that more common for people who have these top three centers open or the throat center open? Or is that... I would say to me, that's coming in as a throat center thing where you are feeling that definition from other people and the way that they're speaking. And also part of that is the empath where you want to feel... You don't want to have confrontation. You don't want to rock the boat. You just want to sort of meld and just have this lovely, happy, cohesive (laughs) partnership. And part of that is in the way we converse with each other. And so I feel like that I could totally see that happening. Yeah. And now I have to pay attention to my likes. (laughs) Yeah. I think we've been doing okay so far. Now I'm conscientious of it. I'm like, oh God, did I do it? But I'm glad she told me because now I'm paying attention more during the the podcasts. I'm thinking about how we're communicating and if they're laughing away, am I mimicking the way they're laughing? Mm. I'm usually hyper aware about things, but for some reason that I didn't pick that up. Now, I know you pulled my human design chart, so to speak. Yep. Do you find similarities between the two of us? Yeah, we actually have a few different similarities. So starting from the beginning, you are the type that's called a generator. And there's, like I said at the beginning or earlier, there's five different energy types. And so the generator is very much this sort of energy powerhouse, this creator, this builder. It's really this self-generating energy to wake up in the morning and have that full tank of gas and really like to go and create and do things and be with people and really have this this very open and enveloping aura of energy. The way that you are designed to make decisions, so your authority is a sacral authority. And so I'm sure you've heard of going with your gut. Going with your gut is exactly what you're supposed to do. That's not the case for a lot of people who were taught to go with their gut. That's actually not correct for them. But for you, it's really about taking in something that comes from the outside, whether that be an email or a conversation or something you read or see or hear, and having that come into your field and responding to it. So you can either check in and see if you move towards something. It's an opening. It's an expansion. It's, you know, can feel like a bubbling, a rising. There's something that will happen in your sacral, which will be your signal that from an energetic perspective, this is something to pursue. This is something to follow. Mm -hmm. And then you go and you do and you pursue and you see what happens with it. And so the opposite will also be true. Something will come in, an invitation, an email, an idea, and you might feel a contraction, a repelling, a moving away. Uh, mm -mm, No, there will be some sort of negative response that your body will give. And it can be really challenging because for a lot of us, we have deconditioned from our body's intuition. We have focused so much on our 
our ego, our mind telling us, well, you have the energy to do it. You should do it. If you don't do it, nobody else will do it. This person asked you for help. You simply must say yes to this thing. And instead, we're ignoring our body signals that are saying like, "Mm, that's not for me. No, I don't want to do that. Or we get no response at all, which is very common. And it'll sort of be in that neutral, which most people will move to the yes column, but is really supposed to be in the no column. (laughs) Because for, for you as a generator, there really is this very sacral driven response in terms of something comes in, you get a a full body. Yes. Whatever that looks like for you. And that is your way to know how to, how to move forward with something. And again, it can be challenging because we might have been taught that we say yes to things or you never turn down an opportunity or whatever different conditioning or outside influence has taught you how to engage in that way. And it's also hard as a generator, as someone who loves to be busy and loves to have things going on to say no to something because it feels good to be in movement. And so there's an element of really leaning into that faith, leaning into that trust that you can say no to something and more things are going to come in, right? It's not Mm -hmm. the only opportunity that you're going to have. And so saying no really helps align you. It helps redefine that relationship with other people, with the universe. And so that you have just more things coming into your field that are a yes. Wow. I can see why you like it. (laughs) Just a little, just a little bomb there for you. (laughs) Just a little bomb. Yeah. There's so many things I want to say to that. But one thing that I find compelling is that you said not everybody needs to listen to their gut that way. Yeah. And how I kind of intuitively knew that was true. I kind of thought, well, maybe it is your gut, but then you have to, some people have to tap into something else. In human design, what other areas should different combinations or designs listen to besides their guts? Yeah. So there's actually seven different ways that we are designed to make decisions. It's called your authority. Yours is the sacral, but a lot of people have an emotional authority. And what that means is that if you have your solar plexus defined, then you are an emotional authority. And what that means is because you have this natural emotional wave, that's always at some point, right? You're always at the top, you know, at the bottom, someplace in between the best thing for you to do is take time. So Mm -hmm. for people that are emotionally defined, going with their gut is absolutely not the correct thing to do. Even if you've been told to go with your gut and for you, clarity, truth comes with time because you don't know where you are on that energetic emotional wave and giving yourself the space to experience all the different potentials and all the different emotions that come in any given day or week or month gives you the time to really get to the place where you feel confident and assured that you're making the right decision for you versus going with your gut because then you say yes. And then two days later, you're like, I absolutely did not want to do that. Why did I say yes to that? I was just picking, you know, amped up or super excited or whatever the reason is. So people who have a solar plexus authority. Yes. That Mm -hmm. would be how they, so it's all based on the authority. That's how you make decisions. Yes. And there's a hierarchy of definitions. So if your solar plexus is defined, that's your authority. 
Some people have a two part, so they could be emotionally defined and also sacrally defined. So that's like a, you know, a little bit nuanced to go through. People can be defined in their spleen. They have a splenic authority. People can be environmentally designed. So they have to really like be in the right place and space. And some people have an ego manifested. There's, there's seven different ones. The vast majority of people are either emotional or sacral or some combination or, or both. And then the one right beneath that is, is splenic. That's the majority of people are those, those three. That's a funny word, isn't it? Splenic. <laughs> it is. I know. I know. And that was actually interesting because the spleen is our survival zone. It's really our place of awareness and keeping ourselves safe. And so that authority, similar to the gut, it's in the moment, but the spleen is very quiet. It speaks only one time. It really requires being tuned in, hearing that thing, and then going with it. You can't ask it again. You can't check in with it. It's sort mm. of, it, it is what it is. It says it. And so that requires a lot of presence, body awareness, intuition. It's a different way. Yeah. And so when I do sessions with people, obviously I'm giving you very top line. I would go into yes. depth on how to activate your sacral and your spleen and all the things. Yeah. I want to talk more about that at the end, what you offer in your session, but just out of curiosity, if you're comfortable sharing, what is your authority? So I'm also a sacral authority and okay. my energy type is a manifesting generator. So we're similar, but the manifesting generator definitely has differences to the generator. So they do a manifesting generator does have a more nonlinear path. It is more likely to be multi-passionate. I call it the energy hummingbird. It's sort <laughs> yeah. of this very pivoting, ping-ponging energy where you can love this and then you want to do this and then you want to do that. And so it still is very much that creative building energy. So there are a lot of similarities with the generator. There's just some some different things that I help guide people on. Hmm. How many types are there? I know there's, there's seven five. authorities. Okay. Yes. There's five types and there's mm -hmm. seven authorities. Okay. Yeah. And so of the, wow, there's only five. That's interesting. Yeah. So there's the generator and the manifesting generator, and that is about 67% of the population. Wow. Then there's that's what's high. called the projector. I know it is high. And so it's very interesting because a lot of the language today about how busy we are and how active we are and this go and do and make and create is very supportive to generators and manifesting generators. So that's good. And then for us, because sometimes people feel like, oh, I'm a generator. There's world. There's a lot of generators in the world. There are a lot of generators in the world. We are the type that are doing a lot of work, a lot of creation, a lot of making things happen and and building things out and doing a lot of physical and mental <laughs> and emotional labor. The next most common is the type that's called the projector. And that's at about 23%. And that is this leader, visionary, mentor. These are people who are not, do not have sacral definition. These are people who are meant to lead and work in a very different way than generators. So oftentimes they get burnt out and they're working in a way that's really not aligned for them because they are ideally should work about mm, four or five hours a day. And they are really here to 
work on systems and logistics and they have a very like niche, unique way of viewing and understanding whatever is that they have like their projector genius in. So that's one energy type. And then there's the manifesto. The manifesto is about 10% of the population. These are the people that are really here to like do the initiating. They're sort of like the fire starters. They're the people who have the big ideas, the leader that like gets something going. And again, they're not here to do every part of the work. They're here to innovate, get it started. And then the projector Bye. comes in, right? <laughs> See you later. And then the projector comes in and is like, oh, maybe we should do it this way. And the generator comes in and they're like, I want to do the work. Let me get into it. And then there's the reflector, which is 1% of the population. So that's the rarest type. And that type is really here to be a reflection, a mirror to their community and really help people see the health of their family, their community, their organization, whatever it is. So everybody plays a role. It's this really cool system of just understanding family dynamics and organizations and teams. And it's really amazing when you learn about yourself and then you start to learn about the people around you and how different, like you might have a friend where when the two of you get together, it's like you come up with this and they come up with that. And then you just sort of like grow on top of each other. Like that's a beautiful relationship and it might have to do with your different human designs. I love this, <laughs> but I love this stuff in general. And I know my, well, some of my listeners, they're probably a little divided. I feel like some of them are like, oh, let's move on to the next paranormal thing. And then the others are like really into astrology and yeah. the the Enneagrams, Enneagram, Enneagram. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I haven't gotten into that one too much either. And then the Myers-Briggs and all the different sort of, I don't know, what do we call these? What are they? Designs? Yeah. I call them like self-discovery modalities. Self-discovery. Yeah. Just that's about good. learning more about yourself. And that's the thing too, with any of them, specifically with human design, I'll speak to that. I know people get really in the weeds. There's so many different layers. There's so many different elements and you can spend years and years dissecting and understanding but if you know your type and you know your your strategy and your authority and just playing with a few of like the very top line overarching themes archetypes that is a huge percentage of what it is i mean you could you could know those three things and be like 70% of the way there now you mentioned the five right Mm-hmm. Uh, the reflector is only 1%, which is so crazy. Yeah. Do we know, like, do you know off the top of your head, any famous people that we could, that fit into that category? So I don't really dig into that. I know there's some people who are human design guides who do a lot of communication about that. It's funny that you mentioned that because I saw somebody post something yesterday, the day before this might come off the wrong way, but they posted about a famous person because again, human design is based on your birth date, your time and your location. So if people have that, you could look up anybody's design. The way that they described this person felt way too intimate. Mm. It almost made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. It's like, Not that it's not public information, but I think there is an element to you learning about your design, you choosing to share, create a language, communicate what feels good to you. I kind of felt like I was like looking at, I don't know, 
pictures <laughs> that were like intimate pictures, the way that she wrote about this person, mm. it just felt way too personal and private to me. And so I don't personally get into that, but I know a lot of people love to know famous people's designs. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you don't do that. I was just asking because I'm curious. It's such a low percentage. I'm like, what is an example of that even? Because where does that even exist? Like, do, do any of us know one? I've only done a few readings for reflectors over all the readings that I've done. Somebody who your audience might know is um, Jordan Younger from the Balanced Blonde podcast. She is a reflector. So if people listen to her, um, she, she talks about human design and being a reflector a lot. Because the reflectors are so rare, could you just give like a little bit of what they're like? Uh, just even, I know you did some, but just kind of like how they interact with the world. And if you came across one, which of the other designs would get along with them most, that kind of thing? Yeah. So, so a, a reflector in human design has all nine centers open. Oh, so, snap. Yeah. Yes. Right. And then on the other side of the spectrum, I have also done readings for people who have all nine centers defined. So those are people who are really here with like confidence and impact. And like, they are more here to be impactful to those around them versus take in energy from, from other people. So that's like a whole other side, but so having all nine centers open means that you are very intuitive. You are very open and you're really just here to sample and experience. And it takes more time to come to decisions for a reflector. Your authority is what's called the lunar authority. So what that means is lunar. So 28 day lunar cycle in order to really get to your truth in the situation because reflectors pick up everybody else's energy, they might feel like a generator one day. And the next day they feel like a manifester. And the next day they feel like a projector. And then they have manifesting generator energy. So they're really here experiencing everything. So the some of the most important things with the reflectors are really being in a community that is I mean, this is the same for all of us, but more, even more so for projectors because they have a sensitivity a community of people that they can trust and that can be really a good sounding board for them and that have this honest and pure energy because they are just really reflecting back whatever it is that they pick up. So they are more sensitive to environments. They do need periods, more periods of rest and alone time so that they can experience their own energy because otherwise they're just getting a lot from the outside world. I feel like I can relate to that to some extent because mm-hmm. as because of the empath yeah you know absolutely. identifying as an empath but i don't completely understand yet now i'm going to have to go to, into a deep dive after this i would love to know what it means to have all of your centers, centers. open mm-hmm. yeah versus defined and so then there's there are there seven centers too no nine there's nine centers nine yeah. centers seven authorities five designs okay <laughs> so of the nine centers the more defined ones what what does that mean again say say that again that means that you just have a confidence in that area and if you have so, them all full you're really just what would that even look like yeah so when you have a center that is defined that means that you have a very consistent way of processing 
that the energy that flows through that center. So it's a more consistent, more reliable. It's sort of really where you're here to have impact for those around you. It's really the core of who you are versus when it's open, that means that you are here to really experience the way other people are. You're here to sample experience, experiment, take in other people's definition in those areas, right? Because all we're doing in every interaction is we're giving impact and we're getting, we're giving and we're getting, we're giving out, we're sharing energy in all of these nine centers. And so when you are open, you can experience other people's energies. And then that's where the growth is. The wisdom is really experiencing other people, but not taking it on as your own. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's pretty good. (laughs) That's the quote of the episode. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of like a mantra that I have to say to myself too. So you have to have your birthday, your time of birth Mm -hmm. and your location. Yes. Because there's an astrological component. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So like, how does this compare to numerology or astrology or the Myers-Briggs, like obviously there is the astrological component. So how does, why do you like this one? What, how does it differ from the others? Yeah. So this is based on four different ancient wisdoms that were synthesized together by the founder, Ra Uruhu. And so there's an astrological component. There is the chakra system component. There is the I Ching, which is these 64 gates and that ancient wisdom. And then there is an element of the Kabbalah and the tree of life with the channels. And so legend has it <laughs> that in, a, in an eight-day period in Ibiza, he got this major download and synthesized all this stuff and came up with, with this way of viewing things. And that is the human design system. So for me, there's a, that's an interesting thing to think about is because he's new. These are old systems and it's his way of viewing it. And a lot of it really resonates and a lot of it really makes sense. And I also take everything and have to run it through my own system of intuition. And I have to filter it because not everything resonates and not everything makes sense. And I feel the same way about astrology and the Enneagram and and any of the things there. There's a reason why there's these archetypes that have been around for eons And there's also the element of conditioning and there's also the element of your own karma and your, you know, however many lives you've had and all the different spiritual things for which you are going to meet this system of viewing things. Interesting. How long ago was this founded or when did he get this download, so to speak? In the 80s. Okay. Yeah. So it is relatively new, it but is. it's not right. Like right. you said, it's, it is, and it isn't. Yeah. So yes, it depends on, yes. cause he's got his combination he's got going on this lifetime, but we don't know right. if he was working on this last lifetime. Right. Right. Yeah. And he's passed away. And so a lot of the work today that's happening is people that are using his framework. And a lot of the language is very professorial or I don't know, kind of, it's hard. It really is hard to understand. And that's why I think there's a lot of people that are, you know, just sort of deciphering through human design. 
I definitely have to put everything into my own words. I'm sure there's some people who like eat up every single different nuanced word that he wrote. For me, I have to put it into terms that are understandable and accessible. And so, yeah, you don't just do human design though, in open to alchemy, what other services do you offer and what other modalities do you pull from when you're helping people find their passions or their soul's work? Yeah. Thank you for asking. So yes, human design is one of the modalities. I also do Reiki. I also do intuitive reading. So channeling or whatever connection happens in different sessions. I've been playing with timeline jumping and doing some of that embodiment and future self work. And it's really all in the whole, you know, the whole idea of open to alchemy is helping people really, again, see themselves, understand themselves, step into a version of themselves that they love and accept and trust and are excited about and breaking away from a lot of these different things that we've taken on shadows or limiting beliefs or whatever it is and helping people really see themselves in a different light from a different perspective, particularly as it comes to business. That's really my passion is helping people create, launch, grow little solopreneur businesses and, and share the gifts that they have with the world from a work perspective. I love doing that. And based off of what you said about, I think I'm trying to follow all of this with the human design manifesting generators or would be the ones who want to bop around more. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And they would be the most out of all the designs. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is almost, it sounds like a perfect job. And I don't even know if you would call it a job at this point. This seems like your life's work because you do get to do all of those different modalities and you get to work with such a variety of different people who are wanting to investigate however many endeavors I who I mean it's the sky's the limit so does it feel like what you're doing is your life's work oh my gosh absolutely yeah and you summed it up so perfectly I could not do just one thing (laughs) I've tried (laughs) and so having variety I know is so critical to my well-being and being able to work for myself and flow with the energy. And maybe one day I'm creating content and the next day I'm podcasting and the next day I'm in session and the next day I'm brainstorming this or that, that is just so critical to my overall energetic health. And yes, absolutely helping people for a variety of different reasons. I think there are commonalities among the people that I work with. It's often people who, you know, have something inside them. They know they want something, they have something to share. They really haven't quite tapped into it, whether they're unclear of what their gifts are, or they're, they're lacking the confidence to be able to put it out, or they don't know the creative steps to take. They don't know the action steps. So it it really does sort of fall into those three categories, but yeah, no, this feels like a dream for me is to just be busy using my, using my gifts, using my energy and being, you know, led by spirit in whatever way, co-creating. Yeah. And you had said 
part, it's part woo, part work. I think it's on your website too. That's kind of like one of your taglines. And I love that. I kind of want to steal it, but <laughs> I'm not gonna, I mean, I'll, I'll use it sort of with, with friends and family, but I love that because I think that's how, I honestly think that's how everybody should do it. It should be part woo because the woo is the good juicy stuff. But because of the world we live in right now, you also have to, you know, boots on the ground. You got to do the work too. So they go together. Yeah. You got to have both. Yeah, absolutely. And I have, I have tried both ways. I have tried being all woo and, and none of the work. And I've tried being all work and none of the woo. And for me, I never felt like I fit in either place. I have always felt like I have my feet in both worlds, which can be sometimes confusing, sometimes isolating, you know, sometimes it's easier to just be all in one and just, you know, go all in. And I have always felt this dance between the two. And so that's really where I feel like the more that I ground in this space, the more that I accept that, you know, my, my mess is my message and that because I feel this push and pull, I am in a unique position to be able to help other people who also feel like they they want to be conscious. They want to be mindful. They want to create things with intention and be guided by whatever spirituality they are connected to. And also know that there is a practical element to marketing and advertising and strategy and content development and all these other things that actually have to happen in order, you know, it's the inspired action that you need to take that marries with the woo inspiration. Right. And if you go too far in the woo, all woo, you're totally disconnected and you get your brains just mushy and it gets, it gets really (laughs) weird over there. Cause I've also done that. And you for when I was younger, I thought that's kind of where you needed to go. That was the, the, you know, quote unquote enlightenment. And then I realized, no. Yeah. And then if you go the other way, which I also did, you are, I think the, the nth degree of that is like turning into a total biatch or like curmudgeon because you're just like work, 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 work all the time. And you've forgotten to tune into yourself and yeah, yeah, there has to there has to be that that balance between the two for sure. And I I, feel, I think it's unfortunate that most people are stuck in the in the work 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 all the time. And then if you do reach out and think, oh, I want to I want to work with someone in the land of woo, the first people that you almost always come in contact with are the ones who are all woo. And you're like, oh my god, a hundred percent. That's not who I want to work with. They're annoying. <laughs> and they are annoying. I'm just going to say it. I mean, once you get so far out there, it feels like they're so disconnected that I can't, I, I just can't. Yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. And it feels like one of the reasons that I, again, felt called to this, and I love that we're so aligned on this, is that I didn't see a lot of people that were speaking from this this center ground, this place of being able to pull in from both places. And it should be more accessible. You should be able to see someone that looks like you and sounds like you and has a like-minded heart, but also wants to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. Well, and then all the way over on too far on the woo is you run into spiritual bypassing and 
people who just are not willing to do shadow work. And that gets hairy too. I think that's actually really common in, in LA. That's like, Oh a, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I can't even imagine yeah. what you were doing. <laughs> You're like, okay, I got to get out of here. <laughs> this is like too woo, which is hilarious. Cause I love the woo. There's almost this thing that I feel like happens where then there becomes a spiritual hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't practice the same way, or if you don't believe the same things, or if you haven't, you know, had all the same experiences, then you're on some way, like a lower spiritual being, like you haven't ascended to that level. And I don't think that everybody's journey to ascension <laughs> is the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all have different soul contracts and different families and different experiences. And so I think that that has been a really big place of growth for me over the past few years as I entered back into the spiritual realm is to not look so much from side to side at what everybody else was doing. And again, there's some people who are really driven by that. And that's really a big motivator for them. For me, it can sometimes lead to feelings of inadequacy and less than and lack. And so the more I focus on what I'm doing, what feels good to me, obviously I'm taking in from other people, but less in the sense of. I should be doing what they're doing or wow, they've had success doing that. Maybe I should try that. That's not a good place for me. (laughs) Mm -mm. I'm guilty of that too. And I love earlier, you said my mess is my message. I think Mm -hmm. that's awesome because I think there is a radical honesty that's also lost when you get too far into the woo. I think it becomes sort of fake and, and strangely enough in route to enlightenment, often people become so vapid and fake. And so I, I love the the shift that many people, including you, are a part of, which is accepting what messiness you're going through and knowing that that's part of your ascension process. And that's okay. And yeah. not hiding that from people in your public forums, you know, where wherever that is, you know, you have your podcast and being truthful about that. And I think that brings me back to what you said at the beginning about me and being a generator with those open at the top and, and feeling like you have to know the thing and then teach people the thing that, you know, well, what if it is just like, Hey, this is what I know today. This is what I got. And, and I feel like this feels good today, I, but I'm also kind of a hot mess today. So take it or leave it. I hope that that becomes more popular, that more people feel interested in showing the mess of the thing because it's messy this is messy life is messy yeah absolutely amen to everything you said I completely agree with that you know it's funny I was meditating for a few minutes earlier in the sunshine that was happening and what came in was the the more you're able to acknowledge where you are without shame without fear without that judgment the more easily and quickly you can move to that next version of yourself that you want to be. And I think that so often we just see this very picture perfect way of whatever it is, successful business people, spiritual people, you know, mothers, whatever the thing is. And then we walk around feeling like, well, gosh, I'm not doing it that way. And I don't look that way. And I don't sound that way. And 
we aren't able to share our stories. And I am sure that so many more people can relate to our messy stories than can relate to the perfect stories that, but those are the ones that get popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Instagram, especially of all the social media sites is known for just like making people feel like shit because everybody <laughs> looks perfect. And so I try to make a, a concerted effort to put out content where I don't look cute or I don't sound cute. And even when I'm editing myself, sometimes I'm like, you know what? I sound like a dum-dum, but I'm going to keep it because if I take it out, then I lose the message. So whatever. Today, I sound like a dum-dum. But we have to actually practice doing that because it's so uncommon in our culture. So, Oh my gosh, absolutely. And the more that you do it, the more you realize, number one, I hope this doesn't hurt anybody's feelings, but nobody is paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Truly, nobody is looking at us the way that we are looking mm-hmm. at ourselves with those critical eyes. And people, I'm sure you get comments and feedback too, where people just want to feel seen and heard. And every time we take the leap and we are vulnerable and we are authentic and we share something, those are the places where we have the real connections. Those are the times when people say, you know, it's so funny. I had written something down about limiting beliefs. This is a few months ago. And it was just like all the different limiting beliefs that I had. I'm not good enough. I don't have this. I'm too old. I'm too, whatever they all were. And I was like, oh, this is funny. And I like posted a picture of it. I got more comments on that from people who in my, you know, from my outside view had it all together looked, you know, looked the part, acted the part, had all the things. And those were all their limiting beliefs too. And so you, you just don't know what anybody else is experiencing. And also it's like, is it any of my business? I have no control over what anybody else is going to think or feel or do. I'm coming from my place of pure intention. If I feel good about that and sure about that, then that's, that's what I'm releasing. Yeah. And people are hungry for that. And I think that's why Gen Z has is leading the way with TikTok right now because they're mm. you know TikTok is so I have zits and I have no makeup on and I'm just saying whatever I want to say and I just think it's not super surprising that you had so many people respond to that because like I said I do think people are so hungry for it they're hungry for reality yeah they want to know that someone else is going through this shit. And that just because you had a cute outfit on earlier and you did that (laughs) one pose, that doesn't mean that you have your whole fucking life figured out that you, you have these negative thoughts that roll around in your mind that make you feel like trash or worse you know, if you're having a really shitty day. So I don't want to stay in and marinate in the negativity, but I think acknowledging it and being like, Hey, how do we help each other get out of this and not pretend like it's not there? I think yeah, that's absolutely. kind of it. I relate to that so much. And there really is something about acknowledging it and naming it that for me allows me to move through it. It's yeah. like when, you know, it's like writing down all the things. So then your brain doesn't have to keep them all in saying the thing, admitting the thing. I'm afraid about this, or I feel bad about this, or this hurt my feelings. Okay. Now it doesn't have ownership over me anymore. My ego is not keeping it. 
My body is not holding on to it anymore. Let me just, and, and particularly for us as energetic beings, you know, manifesting generators and generators, just letting it move through us and not holding it in whatever it is, the thing you want to write, the post you want to do, the the song you want to sing, the dance you want to do. Oh my God, just let it move through you Mm -hmm. is so helpful. So, so cathartic. I I can't say enough about just like doing the thing, just do the thing. (laughs) Yeah. And I hope that what you're saying is inspiring to my listeners, the work that you do too. It inspires people to put themselves out there and realize that just because they might be a hot mess or on the spectrum of hot messery, that whatever they've got going on is valuable to someone. And it can't be valuable to everyone because holy shit, there's too many of us, but it's valuable (laughs) to someone. It's valuable to someone's out there. And so it's better to get it, put it out there than to to hold that in and never share it with the world. In fact, I think that's a disservice to the world for you to hold that in. 100%. And so often when I share with people what their gifts are or some bit of, you know, channeled wisdom or, or, or higher soul perspective, people don't realize what they have that's unique. They don't feel like what they have is, is valuable. They don't feel like it's special because it doesn't look this way because it comes easy to them. They dismiss it as something of value or they think that everybody can do it that way. And so it's really redefining what our gifts are, what our special qualities are, what our life experiences. That's another exercise that I have people do is write down everything, every class you've taken, every job you've had, every volunteer thing that you can think of, all the stuff at home, all the projects, like nobody has your quilt of experience. Nobody has your unique design, life purpose, experience, gifts. You are such a unique, incredible individual. And that is definitely a limiting belief that a lot of people hold that they don't have anything special to offer. And so I'm shouting it out. You do. I promise. I promise you do. You have something that nobody else has. And you're absolutely right. You don't have to be the expert. You don't have to give a TED talk. You don't have to be an (laughs) MIT professor. You have to be one day in front of somebody else to help them. That is it. You have to have one more bit of information or experience or something that you innately know how to do or that feels good to you. We put so much pressure on ourselves to like, be this end all be all. And that's not the way people learn and grow and help and are in community with each other. I need to hear it too, to be honest. I question myself all the time. So it's great to hear it. And I mean, just hearing you say that it reinforces the fact that you're doing what you're meant to be doing because you just kind of, your energy field just went when we started talking about this. So the fact that you coach other people in doing this, so you can feel the passion that you have really, I'm being honest. Um, not just, thank you. Yeah. And so I, I, I want to work with you. (laughs) I want to work with you too. Yeah. Thank you so much. And believe me, every single thing that I say that comes to me is medicine for myself to hear and, and take in as well. I've got all the things I by no means am perfect. I've got, you know, my little 
spiritual board of directors that were messaging each other, like, where's my motivation? Why isn't this working? You know, what, whatever it is. And that feels so good too, especially for people that are in this soulpreneurship space, because it's hard to find community. It's hard to find people that are in between this woo and work space that like, well, I want to create something and I don't know how to do it, or I don't know what I ha- I'm meant to be doing. And and all these different things. So I hope people, you know, can reach out to you, reach out to me, find people that are supporting of them because it can be a lonely place to be, to feel like you are meant to do something. You have this calling and it literally hurts to not put it out there. And yet you don't put it out there. Mm-hmm. And we live in a society that is shifting right now. The world is shifting So there's this sort of old way of the nine to five and the work, 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 and just get a job. It doesn't matter if you love it or not. That's shifting. Gen Z is not like, I'm going to get a job and just do it because I have to. It's they're they're like, no, I'm going to make a job that I like, Mm -hmm. or I'm going to find one that I'm like, that I like. And especially after COVID, everybody's like reevaluating what they we're doing prior to the pandemic. Did I actually want to do that from morning till night every day? I don't think I did. So all of these shifts are happening. And so it's, it's almost a perfect time to be doing what you're doing, I think, because there are going to be plenty of people who are like, hi, me over here. I'd like to get to Z, but I'm all the way over at A and I have no idea how to get through the rest of the alphabet. Like no clue. Could you guide me? And because Z is what we need, but they've been at A, which is this capitalist bullshit construct that is just, you know, cranking out whatever. Oh, I could go on and on about consumers and that whole cycle that you were just talking about, about working in a job that you don't like. So you can buy the things that people tell us we're supposed to buy. I feel like whatever that fight club line is, that's like the famous line about you work all day to buy all the things. And and yet it's something that I fight against because you're just bombarded by so much media and so many things telling us that we need this thing. We're not good enough if we don't have the thing and you deserve the thing and you want to manifest the thing. And so... Yeah, that whole consumerism thing is a tricky is a tricky thing to navigate. Yeah, and it gets in it gets in the way of your soul's purpose and I think we're at a cool spot right now. Well, I wouldn't say cool. The world is a mess. <laughs> and for the first time we know how messy it is because of how connected we are technologically. So, right. it's just it really is so overwhelming all of the unbelievably horrible things that happen on our planet every day. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's crazy on so many levels. And when you think about the fact that so many people are working so hard and they don't even know why, like you mm-hmm. said, like they don't even, they don't like what they're doing. And I understand with full body <laughs> how privileged I am to be able to speak like this. Like mm-hmm. I fully, fully get that. I have come from a place where I did not have that before. And I'm speaking from a place where I I do have comfort and stability. And so I, you know, all of that aside, just this idea of working so hard for something that you don't even know that you want 
but you think that it's attainable and you're supposed to be going after it. And meanwhile, these very few people in corporations really have it all on lockdown is like, it's a whole, yeah, it's really, yeah. And then I think about the planet and the environment and I'm like, and now I'm not getting out of bed tomorrow. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And I'm really glad that you brought up privilege because I want to acknowledge that as well, but not everybody is going to be able to have the opportunities to get out what they need to get out to the world. But like you said earlier, it doesn't have to be the world. It could just be your neighbor. We all have what we have to work with. And if I understand correctly, what you're trying to do is help as many people as possible. You know, obviously we wish we could just like snap our fingers and everybody in the world would have everything that they need. And it's ridiculous that they don't. And then Bezos is flying a giant wiener into space, you know, like it's fucked up, but it's, it's the reality though. And so it's like, we all have to do just a little bit of what we can. And, and so I feel like that's what you're trying to do is just to get to as many people as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of it has to do with what our expectations are and what our beliefs are about what success looks like. What does it look like to help other people? You know, someone once told me, we were talking about impact and followers and, you know, there's some people that are so powerful that they are only here to help one person. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, that's everything. Because we are in such a quantity versus quality society where you feel like, what is it enough that I have 10 clients? Is it enough that I have a thousand followers? Is it enough that I make a million dollars? Like what is enough? And, and I know that that, that number and that needle is always moving depending on who you are and where you are. But I would just encourage people to spend some time thinking about that. What makes a successful day? What, what do you want to feel versus what is the number that is driving you if you are being driven by numbers, because a lot of the people that I work with are not driven financially. And I think that that's a whole other thing to unpack is, you know, if that is the case, that's incredible. Why is that the case? Is it because you really don't feel driven by by money because you feel abundance in other ways? Is it because you feel like you don't deserve the money? Is it, you know, there's so many different mm-hmm. ways that each thing can go. So I think it really is about what does success mean to you? What feels good to you? I talk a lot about goal feelings. What is it that you want to feel? Do you want to do this because you want freedom? Do you want to feel joy? Do you want to feel that you're being of service and that you're helping people? What is driving you? Because you really can't control the outcome of what you put out. No. Sadly. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, and some people really feel that they can. Some people feel very strongly about their manifestation process and they're going to script every day what it is that they want and they're going to vision board and they're going to do all their things. And, you know, I, I have a very interesting relationship with manifestation in that part of me really gets that. And I understand that that works for certain people. And then part of me feels like if I'm listening to spirit and I'm working from my intention, then shouldn't what's aligned for me come to me. 
You bring up an excellent point. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> I've got I've come to this crossroads before because I have a very strong Buddhist meditation background. And one of the things that's taught in that specific path is that the more meditation you do, the more life will just automatically get easier for you. The things that are meant to come with to you will just come to you, kind of like what you just said. But then I also have a lot of experience with law of attraction and that whole like get your vision board and let's like visualize the exact thing every night. And some would say that that's craving, which is totally opposed to Buddhist teaching. But I think what people are missing in law of attraction is that you're sort of just putting it out there and then letting it go. I think people are forgetting the letting it go part. And then it becomes like a pining for the thing. And then it just, you're just fucking yourself. You're never going to get the Cadillac because, or whatever the hell you want, the Tesla. <laughs> I guess it's now, I'm like a hundred years old. It's a Tesla now or whatever. I'm like, I kind of want like, is the Cadillac <laughs> like going up and down? Is it purple? Yeah, it has hydraulics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I think the reason that people aren't getting what they man- want to manifest so often is because it turns into a pining accidentally. I don't think they're doing yeah. it on purpose. So I think you're onto something there. Like there's sort of this like back door to both the mysticism, the roots of Buddhist meditation or just, you know, body scans in general and the, the roots of law of attraction. Like, I think there's sort of, they're actually the same thing at the end of the day, but I think it's just gotten confused because we really are so obsessed with getting what we want because of our minds, our egos, I think. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And then there's the whole element of not feeling like you are deserving and you can want anything or a big block for me that I've slowly worked through is not feeling like you could ask for help. Mm -hmm. And so feeling like you, yeah, you could get the thing, but you couldn't ask anybody for help along the way. You had to do all the work yourself in order for it to be real or for in order for it to happen, because maybe you didn't trust that it could happen, or maybe you're not deserving of it unless you work really hard or, Mm -hmm. I mean. Yeah. And I think when people say, oh, it's taking so long for the thing that I want to manifest to manifest, I think, and I'm totally guilty of this a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time actually, (laughs) is that you really, is that you kind of oscillate back and forth. You do the cha-cha. You're like, yeah, I got it. I can make this happen. And then you're like, oh, I don't deserve this. And that cha-cha, just the act of it fucks up your vibration. And then you're vibrating. And then you got to start all over. And I think what, what Siddhartha specifically was teaching was just meditate for long ass periods of time and your vibration will naturally be in a better space. So it's kind of like just two different ways, I think. Right. So do you think that it is that the more that you are in the space of meditation, acceptance, surrender, gratitude, that you raise your vibration to such a level that you don't even want the thing anymore. And then you're supposed to be pleasantly surprised by, because anything that you get is fantastic because you're just in such a high vibration. Yeah. I think it's, you almost eradicate the original want 
Yeah. Because your vibration is so high that you know you're just going to get it. You're, it's If it's meant for you, it'll come. Mm. It's like this amazing place that I rarely get to, but it's this, it's <laughs> can, like, I visit? can I come with you next time you go there? Just yeah. Bring me along. It's like you surrender really. You just, yeah. I mean, that's the easier word. I'm thinking of something else, but yeah, you surrender to it. It changes. It's like alchemy. It changes right. from a want to a knowing. Yeah. I totally understand what you're saying too, about this emphasis on wanting the thing then instead of coming from this place of, of knowing and abundance and excitement and, oh my gosh, I can't wait for that to happen. It's going to be amazing. And now I'm already feeling like I have it to a place of lack and a place of, I need to get that thing. And I'm not in, when, when I get that thing, then everything's going to be great. That whole unicorn thinking. So yeah. You and I need to work on a manifestation thing together. (laughs) I would love that because it would help us both too. I mean, it's it's selfish as well, but I I think that when I get the thing, when I do the thing, when I get through this really, really hard week, it doesn't matter. There's all different ways you can say it. That is such a dangerous thought pattern. And I am very guilty of it. And when you do it, Every single time you'll be disappointed 100% of the time, because when you get to the thing, you will not feel better. You just don't. It's not how it works. The thing doesn't make you feel better. It doesn't. I mean, there are temporary pleasures, of course. If you were to use it, for example, with work, a lot of people, I, I worked in entertainment for a long time. I still do actually. And you have all these people who are like, oh, well, let's just get through this really tough season and then we'll be all right. We'll, we'll be able to breathe. No, because guess what happens? Right after the tough season ends, another season starts. And then right. you just go right into that extremely high cortisol levels all over again. Instead, what if it was like, let's make it to where we make this day a little bit more manageable we just like try to cram everything in. And then at the end, we get the reward. That's part of the law of attraction process that I think people miss. Yeah, absolutely. The thing that you're talking about, it was called the hedonic treadmill, which Mm. is what we learn in compassion training, which is as soon as I get the thing, I'm going to be happy. But then once you get the thing, you're already on to the next thing. So it's just this never ending cycle of wanting, getting, (laughs) wanting, getting. You already gave some great advice. What would you say to somebody who's feeling like shit, especially post pandemic? And they're like, I don't know what to do with my life. I know I have something to offer, but they're not even at the point where they know even a little bit of what that is, but they know it's something. What would be just your first pass advice for someone like that? Oh, first of all, I I feel you so much. I have been in the place so many times of knowing that I have something inside me, not knowing what it is, not knowing what to do, really just like, I, I mean, it's almost like a call up to God or the universe and like, why do you keep giving me this feeling that I'm supposed to be doing something? And then that's it. Like, where's the rest of the information? Like, I only got the, the one thing. Could you get, give me the rest of the message? That is a perfect place to turn inward. If you are not already in a meditation practice, and I know meditation feels like so heavy and so loaded, you can start with one minute of sitting outside and just just breathing, 
just focusing on the in and the out, just focusing on the up and the down. Anything that you can do to sort of regulate your nervous system, be grounded, feel good about yourself, your place in the world. The place that you are at right now is 100% not the place you're going to be at tomorrow. It's not the place you're going to be at a week, a month, a year from now. And that's not to discount what you're feeling. You should feel what you're feeling, but also there's that element of being able to see it from a different perspective. And the reason that I love meditation so much is it gets you into that place of being the watcher. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you're the watcher of your thoughts, of your energy, of your, of your mind, you're able to look at things from that perspective of impermanence which is everything that we experience, right? You know, the ups and the downs and the this way and the that way, it's all temporary. And the other thing about meditation is that I truly believe that more quickly than you realize, you will start to tap into a level of knowing an intuition that is so incredible, is so life-changing, soul-satisfying, inspiring, grounding, helpful, all of the things. And you might think you're going crazy and you might not believe what you hear or what you see or what you feel. Just write it down. Just sit outside for a minute. See if a question pops in. See if you hear anything. See if you know anything. See what you sense and just start to document that. I swear to you, within a few days, a few weeks, you will start to feel more connected, more inspired, more motivated, and you have no idea what kind of messages are waiting for you. And for me, that was really a path back to myself, back to my spirit, back to the sense of of intuition, of confidence, of knowing that this whole external world is in many ways that game simulation analogy. And how I feel is, is almost all in my control. And I don't mean that that initial reaction or the, you know, the outside trigger that's, of course, you're going to have that, but then you do have power over the next thought. You do have power over the next action. And I think that we so often just, just give up that power. And I would just tell that person and any person listening that you are so much more powerful than you give yourself credit for. And having that internal dialogue and that internal relationship gives you a sense of power and confidence that you will never get from the external world. Nothing external will ever compare to how you can help yourself feel on the inside. That's another mic drop. I absolutely, listeners, agree with Lauren that when you do meditate, there is this space that if you're not meditating and you're, you've never done it before and you hear people sometimes talk about this, you might think that sounds like fantasy. Totally does mm-hmm. until you do it. And then the kinds of things that happen will seem actually, this sounds crazy, but it actually seems magic. I mean, you will start to know things before they happen. Obviously, it takes some practice, but you'll start to connect with yourself in a way and and just it's weird. It's I'm out of practice right now, actually, with meditation. I miss it. I say when I'm like where I am right now, I always say I miss myself. I miss that self, which is 
that's like beyond the self, the self that's yeah. beyond the self that you find in meditation that sort of has all of the answers for you. And it's so comforting to know that that's there and that that trumps every single external stimuli, every single one, your kids, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband, your whoever, all of them. It is the OG self. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's the purest, most incredible. And it's so funny. It's like, you know, you feel better when you exercise, you know, you feel better when you eat better, you know, and, and you, you know, you feel better when you meditate. And yet it's one of those things in this human experience that we've signed up for that we just have to keep reminding ourselves, I completely relate to, I was away last week and I didn't meditate that much. And it's like, why don't I feel good about myself? Oh, hello. You have not spent any time with your real self. You haven't spent any time giving yourself that love. It feels so cliche to be like, self-love is everything. Self-love is everything. Like I just, (laughs) I don't know what else to say. I was thinking about that earlier. It's, there is no relationship that is more valuable than the one that we have with ourselves. And we just so quickly diminish it, give it away, just prioritize everything, everybody. That's a game changer for just like moving on to another way of living. You're right. And the one minute, I love that you mentioned that too, because it doesn't have to be an hour. It doesn't have to be even 15 minutes, one minute can change your day. And it doesn't have to change your day either. It could change your, the next 30 minutes. It could just yeah. for that minute, help you breathe a little, and then maybe you'll go right back to chaos, but something does seem to happen. And I want to know if you've experienced this too. Even if you just do a minute and you do a minute every day, the consistency is more important than the length, because after you do it every day for a while, it's something happens. It's like, then you start to want to do it. It's kind of like exercise, right? Definitely. Yes. It's that muscle memory and not every session is the same. You're so right. Some sessions are incredible and you're flying and the Pleiadians are talking and (laughs) oh my gosh, I see how everything is connected and now I'm underground and oh my God, there is a system where all the plants are talking to each other. And sometimes it's okay. I have to do this. Wait, no, breathe. Oh my God, this person, okay, I have to breathe. And it's just the practice of doing it. And the other thing that I would say for people that don't know how to start or have a block or whatever thing, think about times in your day that are natural transition points. When you come home from work and you're sitting in the car and you turn off the car, take 30 seconds to just arrive where you are. It doesn't even have to be meditating in the classical sense. Just be like, okay, I had a day. Now I'm starting a new part of my day. How do I want to be when I walk in this door? That intention, that attention to how you want to feel is another easy way to start to be more mindful and take more control over your emotional well-being. Here, here. And it's such a simple one. Like you said, that's, yeah. a, that's a great one. You said something about how meditation allows you to become the observer or get into the observer space, meaning that mm-hmm. you're watching your body, you're watching your thoughts, you're able to feel what you're feeling from that OG self, so to speak. 
What would you say to people who are like, oh, I got to that space. I'm watching my thoughts and my thoughts are so bad, let's say, for lack of a better term. You know, I'm thinking such horrible things. Is that who I am? You know, I, I think that comes up a lot. And I'm curious what your answer it would be to that. So I would definitely encourage people to dig into that because that might be your loop right now, right? We all have different times in our life where that negative self-talk is just the loudest voice that we hear. And so where does that come from? Who spoke to you that way? Where did you learn that that was how you were supposed to speak to yourself? Who are you with that story? Who are you without that story? What happens if you let that, if you let that talk go? Who do you become? You know, the relationship that we have with ourselves, just like any other relationship, is a codependent one, right? So we're getting something from that. So what are you getting from that negative talk? Does it keep you from trying something? Does it keep you in a place where you feel ashamed and and feeling shame is a place where you feel safer than trying something new, or mm. maybe you're just conditioned to, to speak to yourself that way because that's what was mimicked to you. Or maybe there's just other layers of self-esteem and self-doubt that you are being invited to work through. There's something there. And if you don't know what it is, then that's the place where the meditation and the soul's perspective is such a beautiful guide that you would not be in that place if there was not something for you to learn from it. So why would you be in that place? If you, if you can use your imagination and say, okay, if I'm the soul, what would my soul be getting from this? Why would I be learning this lesson of of this negative experience or this, this negative self-talk? What am I here to overcome about it? What am I here to move through? That's good. That's juicy. <laughs> I like it. You can spend a few weeks in that space, right? <laughs> yeah. A few weeks, like lifetimes. <laughs> That's yeah. really good. And that happens to everybody. I mean, we all have periods of time where we don't feel good about ourselves. You know, I have worked on my voice, on my self-talk for the majority of my life. Mm -hmm. And it still comes around again. And then it's like, okay, why do I have to learn it this way? Or what's happening with this? There's, there's just more to unfold and unpack. But I would say that the more work you do, you find it quicker, you get mm -hmm. to the root of it easier. And yeah. so it comes around, but the valley isn't as deep. It isn't as wide. That's a great way of saying it, but it, it's not necessarily that it goes away altogether. It's just that you don't stay in it for as long. Mm. And that's, yeah. that's great. And that has to be good enough, right? I mean, I've had to work for the same all my life, really, on negative self-talk. And one of the things that helps me, too, is back to what we were saying before, being vulnerable and being, you know, that radical honesty about it. So, when you know, I, I think of my therapist as like my lawyer. You tell them everything. You, you, say, you tell them straight up every single negative, weird thing that's going, that's going on. I mean, obviously wait until you find one that you feel really comfortable with to do that. Cause they can possibly use that against you if they're not a good fit, but be really open about that. And, and if they're good, they'll prompt something like you said, which is 
pull out of yourself to that observer, which is the the soul really, and think, what would my soul, let's say, let's just play with the idea that my soul came to this planet in this body to learn a bunch of shit. So then why would I be thinking this shit? What would this, that's such a good way to put it because it's kind of pulling yourself out of the equation. And then that I think reduces the shame. If it's something that you're feeling bad about thinking maybe, or if you're, you know, then you can be like, oh, okay, well, maybe I wanted to learn about this. And so that's the opposite of this negative loop that I'm in. And so I kind of have to get through this obstacle so that I can cultivate that in myself, I guess. Absolutely. Whether it be self-love or just being able to see yourself in a different way. Another thing to do is to think about it from what if your, your best friend or your mom or your kid came to you with those thoughts? What would you say to them? How would you coach them through it? It's sometimes so hard for us to see and help ourselves. And we would never speak to anybody else the way that we speak to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So what if your best friend came to you with those thoughts? The same advice that you would give them, the same love and tenderness and compassion that you would extend to them, just flip it around and take it in yourself. I use that one all the time. And my my partner yeah. actually uses that one on me. She's like, would you say that to your best friend? It's like sort of a daily reminder almost weekly reminder that you need to remember, Hey, 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 you are so nice to everyone else, but yourself. So, yeah, yeah, I love that. And the future self is another good one to do that. Okay. Imagine yourself a week from now, five years from now, and you've, you've gotten through this, you've, you're done with it. You've moved on. You got the thing you wanted. You have the career, you have the partner, you have the family, whatever it is that you wanted. What would you say to yourself about this moment, about how it's going to be, about how you're going to get through it, about what it's going to be like on the other side? Because that future version of yourself already exists. They're already there on the timeline. They're already in the multiverse. You just have to find that version of yourself because they're there. And sometimes I do think that we get stuck. I think that a lot more of us than are willing to admit it have emotional addiction And that telling yourself the same story, telling other people the same story, there's something you're getting from staying in that emotional addictive loop. And it is something we all have experienced, I'm sure. There's no way around it. You got to get through it. Yeah. You almost have to be a detective. You have to investigate why, why you're addicted to that thing. You're like, ooh, what am I getting from every time I walk into this room, for example, I immediately start complaining. You know, why do I do that? And there's a reason you're addicted to some emotional response that you get from doing that. Again, listeners and beyond, I do this all the time. I'm addicted to negative. Same, same, same. Yeah. Lauren and I have agreed we are not experts in this. We just... (laughs) I'm an expert in going through this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Maya Angelou has this simple quote, which is when you learn teach. And I think I don't think I'm a guru or I wouldn't even necessarily call myself like a teacher or definitely not an expert, but it's like, when you learn the thing, you might as well share it with other people, but that doesn't mean that you've mastered it by any fucking means. (laughs) So that resonates so much with me because same, like the idea of 
teacher or guide. Oh my gosh, I could get so healer. Oh my gosh. Oh, don't get so me started. hung up on all of those words. That's why we all come up with these crazy titles in this like solopreneurship world, because it's like, well, nothing really fits and that doesn't feel good. And I don't want people to think this about me. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, I totally relate. All right. Well, we covered a lot of things. We really got into the manifestation stuff, which is cool because I think I needed that. Those are some reminders I needed too. And I think we just sort of intuitively went there, which is cool. And I hope it's helpful for the listeners too. I love that. Yes, I definitely needed that. I feel like I was like a little piece of energetic coal. I needed to bless that. (laughs) I always ask this question at the end of interviews, and that is what's the most profound supernatural, paranormal, woo experience that you've ever had? I've seen a ghost, IRL, (laughs) really at the foot of my bed. And it's actually a very funny story because we were living in a, a previous home and my husband would always joke that I would hear a noise. I would wake him up like, oh, did you lock the door? Oh, could you get me a glass of water? Like, oh, random thought in the middle of the night. And yet when I woke up and saw a ghost at the foot of the bed, I did not wake him up for that experience. What? Yeah, it was super, it was crazy. I, I, I woke up and there was at the foot of the bed, a woman, you know, the, what would appear to be a woman and sort of like this white flowy garb. She was older. She was just sort of standing there and watching us sleep. And I was totally freaked out as one might be if they saw somebody at the foot of the bed. And I just sort of laid there and took it in for a second and then closed my eyes and was like, I'm not going to see this, not going to see this. I was not into spirituality in the same way that I am now, where maybe I would have engaged or sent love or wrapped myself in a bubble and hung out for like a minute to see what was happening. And so I closed my eyes and I just tried to put myself in a different place and did not wake up my sleeping husband to this day makes fun of me for really all the things you wake me up for, but not, not the ghost. My husband and I were trying to get pregnant at that time. And I think that it was somebody who had lived in our house prior to us living there. Cause we had an old house and was just checking to see like that we were going to be good parents. Like that's just my intuition about it. Cause I got pregnant not that long after. And I feel like she was just like, let me just see if they're good and they're going to have a baby in this house. Like, let me just check it out. She was like a gatekeeping ghost. Now, do you remember, was it, she said she was wearing like a white gown. Was she misty or was she... Was she kind of misty or was she full? Like it looked like there's a lady right there. Like I could touch her. She was, I would say in between those two. Interesting. I know for a while, my husband was like, are you sure it wasn't actually a person? (laughs) And he's not into like any of this stuff. So anything he says, I sort of take with like grain of salt, but yeah. Another cool thing that happened that's coming to mind now is I was driving down the road near our current house and I saw what I could only describe as like an energy field pocket in front of me. It was wild. You know, they had those giant bubbles. It was sort of like a bluish hue bubble, like sort of moving like a, like inside of a lava lamp kind of thing, but it was clear. It just had like a blue essence to it. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, this is like, is this happening? Am I hallucinating on the road? I don't know. It was a glitch in the matrix. I don't know what I saw. Was it on a busy street or like a side road? It was not busy on the road at that time, but it was a well-traveled road. It was at night? Nope. During the day. During the day. That's even weirder. (laughs) I would say that's a, that sounds like a portal, like a fairy portal or like a fey portal. Just for a split second, I don't know, in their world, maybe they didn't like close the door all the way or something. And you saw a glimpse of it. Oh my God. I love that. Yeah. I never have even really like explored what that could be. I just sort of saw it and took it in and was like, okay, that's, that happened. I know that happened. I, I saw that. happen. How big was it? I don't know. 10, you know, I was in my car, so it was much higher than the car, 12, 15 feet. And it was sort of tall, like maybe like rectangle shape. So more tall and narrow, but like moving, waving like a bubble. And how long did it last? Five seconds ish. Oh, I don't it was know. Just a I mean, blip. I, yeah, it was like a blip. Yeah, that's why I felt like I was like, oh my gosh, where, where am I? What's, <laughs> what's going on? And then it was sort of like gone. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Also, you would question your sanity for a split second, like, whoa, what? Well, of course. Yeah. Well, I do that every day anyway. (laughs) Yeah, right. Same, same. (laughs) That's a good one. Curious. Now, was did that happen at a time where you were more involved in your spiritual development? Yeah, that was more in like the the process of coming back to my spiritual self, definitely. I wonder if that was maybe you were sensitive enough to to see it. Yeah. Or they were like, Oh, you wanted a sign? Here's a here's a sign, lady. Yeah, there you go. That's a really good one. Blue can be fae. It's often connected to to fairies. Yeah, there's a lot of people who've had similar experiences. So you're not oh, alone. Really? Oh, good. Okay, good. I need yeah. to find those people. Contact me, people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, contact Lauren at Open Alchemy. <laughs> if you have seen a blue blob. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for taking the time. Seriously, I do the pre-calls, but I really don't ever know what's going to happen. And this, this long, full interview conversation. And I'm almost always pleasantly surprised. Like I said, I needed to hear the manifestation stuff more than I thought. So thank you very much for that. Thank you so much for having me. It has been such a pleasure. It's such a delight to, to be in space with you and share all of our, all of our energy. Well, like I said, as soon as I can, I am definitely booking a human design session with Lauren. I'm so curious about the details of my graph. I keep calling it a graph because I think that's what I read on the interwebs, but I don't know if that's what Lauren calls it. I don't feel like that's what we called it. I'm calling it my human design graph until I'm told otherwise. She also offers a number of other transformational modalities, including timeline jumping and energy work. And she also offers a clarity workbook for the aspiring small business owner. That's just $11. And you can check all that out at her website at opentoalchemy.com. If you want to check out your human design graph, as we're calling it, I have added that link and some others to the show notes as well, including a link to Open to Alchemy podcast. So if you want to listen to more of what Lauren has cooking up on the regular, that's where you can tune in. 
I'm going to go focus on some shit that I'm grateful for because that's what Oprah would do. And I'm probably going to go on a deep dive into what it really means to be a generator because I need to know more. Blessed be my witches and weirdos. Bye. Thank you for following the woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow the Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 